Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So a lot of funding from international NGOs are focused or earmarked on diseases such as HIV, AIDS, and malaria. But the downside of focusing on, shall I say, popular diseases is that you're missing the neglected diseases. Providing healthcare around the world is noble work. Governments and international donors often have excellent intentions when they focus on high-impact diseases and when they zero in on maternal health. But that can also lead doctors to skip past other health issues. For Dr. Lutfi Lachman, focusing on maternal health meant that the impact he could have on the community where he was working was too limited. I even got a, an, an award from the United Nations because I was focusing on maternity health. But I kind of feel I don't deserve it because it is not something that is very high impact. So now I'm just focusing on what the committee needs. That meant walking away from large international grants. It was a scary proposition, but Dr. Lockman knew there had to be a way to establish care for a wider range of ailments and to make those medical clinics financially secure. It was cross-subsidization. You follow the uh, principles of Mohamed Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner, founder of the Grameen Bank, and the, I think the inventor, really, of, of microfinance. Yep, exactly. But I think pe- most people do think of him uh, in the field of, of economics and lending. But here you've taken some of those ideas and applied them to provision of healthcare. So that's the model, cross-subsidizing, uh, community helping uh, themselves. I really thought that this is a very good idea. And just this year, we've managed to become fully sustainable. Dr. Lutfi Lachman is the co-founder of Hospitals Beyond Boundaries. They hire doctors locally and provide a broad spectrum of care to meet the needs their communities request. The problem that I'm trying to solve 
is providing a healthcare for marginalized communities in a financially sustainable way. Dr. Lachman didn't come to the idea for hospitals beyond boundaries easily or quickly. It began on a fateful night back when he was in medical school in Malaysia. He and some friends got together to decompress after a long week. They decided to play a game and they broke into two teams like armies. Everyone had small water balloon type ammunition, sort of like a version of handheld paintball. This is in the dark of night and in the jungle. And a warning here, some of this description is a little graphic. So it's a game, uh, it was at night and people were separated into teams and we were uh, in the jungle, you kind of attack each other. So what happened is that uh, it was uh, really dark. I couldn't see anything. And I hear like someone was is running towards me and had this plastic bullet smashed directly uh, at my ear. Mm. So the pressure was so strong uh, that my eardrum uh, was busted and uh, it fractured the mastoid bone. So that's where our uh, brain fluids also flows to. When you get brain fluids leaking out of your ear, it's pretty dangerous because if it gets infected, you, know, you can get brain infections. So I was uh, rushed to the hospital and I was admitted uh, for two weeks. I had to be on antibiotics uh, continuously. I was still a medical student. I'm not sure with the fear of, you know, whether what my future will be, that really changed the trajectory of uh, my life. And so it's not just physical, but uh, mental pain uh, that I go through. So I guess why I wanted to start something is to, you know, have a sense of doing something that is part of a bigger community and trying to contribute uh, to that uh, community. How soon was it after that injury that you opened the first clinic? When I started the organization, it was half a year. But three years after that, that I started the clinic because we had to fundraise for the whole three years. I mean, it's very hard to fundraise when you're a medical student. You come to people saying, I want to build a hospital. I want to build a clinic. No one trusts you. You're still a student, right? So it took us a long time uh, to get enough funding to start our first uh, clinic. So what's the difference? I understand the idea that it's more of the community and I guess more culturally sensitive. Is it that people who otherwise wouldn't seek access to medical care will be more comfortable in the, the kind of institution you're setting up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the conversation of global health, we talk a lot about access, but a lot of people forget that access is not always geographical. Like you can have a clinic just next to where you live, but uh, there are other barriers such as a cultural barrier uh, in which uh, you are not comfortable going to the clinic. So one of uh, the first project that we started uh, was building a clinic in, in Cambodia. And uh, the community around on there uh, do have access to clinics in the area. Cambodia has one of the highest densities of NGOs in the world, second only to Rwanda. And a lot of these clinics are run by foreign NGOs and are manned by uh, foreigners. So I'm not discounting their effort and their expertise, but it's just that the 
a community don't feel comfortable com- discussing their health and their concerns because of, I guess, language barriers or cultural sensitivity. So in the end, what they uh, decide to is to go back to the community and see traditional healers there. So that's the basis of the idea of hospital boundaries, just building a hospital, a clinic that is uh, modern, uh, available for everyone uh, to come and feel comfortable getting a treatment. Yeah. I mean, you're not a native to Cambodia either. You're you're from that part of the world, broadly defined, but you're from Malaysia, which is, I don't know, I think over a thousand miles away if I'm, if I'm visualizing the map correctly. So what's different about you as technically, I think, a foreign NGO setting up a clinic versus the kinds of international NGOs you're talking about? Mm-hmm. So what we do is everything behind the scenes we hire uh, from the local community. So we seek uh, doctors from that community, nurses, uh, midwives. And so it is 100% staffed by the local community. So the things that we do are basically uh, fundraising, uh, consultation, uh, giving advice. But in the end, it is them uh, who is running the show and it is them who is getting the credit. And we're not looking for any profit or uh, any credit. It just makes us feel fulfilled and happy to see the clinic uh, being sustainable and uh, having an impact towards the community. Right. So you're providing access to local doctors and local medical workers. Presumably, a lot of the people who come to your clinic would have access to those kinds of doctors, but is it they couldn't afford them and you're going to subsidize it or pay for it? So the model that we use is cross-subsidization. So I guess this is another difference between us and other charity clinics that are funded by international organizations. So uh, most uh, charity clinics are giving free treatment for the poor, uh, 100%, but they are uh, perpetually dependent on that funding, donations or grants. Uh, at Hospitals Within Boundaries, we are not dependent on any of those grants or international NGOs. We are open to all patients, not just poor patients, but those who are able to pay will pay the normal fees. And all the profits uh, that is gained from that will be used to fully subsidize the poor. So it's kind of like a virtuous cycle and uh, it's proven to be uh, sustainable uh, because you will never know if you're dependent on funding when that funding will end, if anything happens. uh, I guess that's the difference between us and uh, other clinics. So the local providers are are paid and are they paid what they normally expect to be paid? A bit more, actually. So we are the, the rate that we are paying is the same as uh, what other for-profit or private clinic in the area would pay uh, their staff. And that is also one of the difference because we, we don't want to like project an image that because you're a clinic that treats the poor, so the condition or the appearance must be of the, of a poor clinic, right? So, and it's open for all. So it also eliminates the stigma of, you know, when someone goes to the clinic and the community sees them going there, oh, so he's a, he's a poor person, he's going to that clinic. So we're eliminating that, that stigma. It's also a good way to retain patients because uh, as a clinic, uh, doing primary care, it's very important to uh, have your patient seeking treatment uh, with you continuously because you want to, if someone has a chronic disease, you want to manage them if possible for a lifetime. But we also see a lot of patients who who climb up 
the socioeconomic ladder, shall I say, started as a poor person and then becomes, you know, gets more income and climbs up the social or economic ladder. And after he has been able to uh, uh, gain more income, he's still able to come to the clinic and now he can pay and contribute to the clinic so that other poor people will be able to be treated. So it's a, it's a very tight-knit community in the places uh, that we work. So whenever you come to this clinic, uh, there's a sense of belonging. Yeah. I know you, uh, you follow the uh, principles of Mohammed Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner, founder of the Grameen Bank, and the, I think the inventor really of, of microfinance. And a, a big principle of him is the kind of sustainability you're talking about, yep, right? Exactly. That business doesn't have to make much profit or necessarily any profit in the conventional sense, mm-hmm. but it has, to, it has to be able to pay for itself and support itself. But here you've taken some of those ideas and applied them, applied them to provision of healthcare. Yeah. So a lot of funding from international NGOs are focused or earmarked on diseases uh, such as HIV, uh, AIDS, uh, malaria, uh, maternity. So these are all very important diseases. But the downside of focusing on uh, high level and shall I say popular uh, diseases to eradicate is that you're missing the neglected diseases, right? So for example, at the place uh, where we work in Cambodia, a lot of patients uh, come with genital and urinary tract uh, infections. This is mostly has to do with uh, hygiene and nowhere can I find uh, funding uh, for that. So when I read the book by Muhammad Yunus, I really thought that this is a very good idea in which cross-subsidizing uh, community helping uh, themselves. So a particular chapter that in, in Yunus' book is about a patient who uh, has thalassemia. It's a, a blood a disorder. Uh-huh. It's genetic. Uh, so anyone can get it. So it doesn't select uh, your social economic status. So there are the poor people who has that, there's the rich people who has that, and middle income. So the middle income and uh, the people who with uh, more means are able to pay for the treatment of thalassemia. But for the poor, uh, they you know die by the fifth birthday. So in Muhammad Yunus' book, he tells the story of how they cross-subsidize uh, the treatments between the rich and the poor. So I thought that's really a good idea and we're going to do that in Cambodia. Dr. Lechman, I know it was your goal to build a hospital and clinic that would be modern and available for everybody and would be comfortable. How do you make people feel comfortable in a hospital? Oh, it's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's it's a field of study by itself. But I believe uh, number one is the interaction with the staff. You'll feel comfortable when the staff are friendly when they treat you well, they understand your concerns and treat you with respect. And that's also a good thing about running a clinic that is open to all, although you're focusing on the poor. The staff don't know whether you're rich or you're middle class or you're poor, so they have to treat you equally whether wherever you're from or whatever social economic status uh, you're from. Is it a model that can work all over the world or does it work best in small, close-knit communities? I mean, how are you thinking about the potential growth of it? Yeah, I would say places like rural areas where everybody is is poor and don't have the means to pay, uh, it, it wouldn't work uh, in those places. 
there's no like a blanket solution towards the problem of uh, access to healthcare. But the model that we're using is something that would work in places like peri-urban areas and suburban areas. And even in urban areas where people, there are poor people like in Kuala Lumpur, there's still the homeless people, that would be the best model to follow yeah. I mean, part of what's so interesting about this this idea is that it removes the, you know, almost colonial legacy of a lot of this care, the idea that rich countries are providing this out of charity and generosity to very poor people in poor countries. And you're you're not looking, at least in the, in the main, for foreign doctors to come and volunteer. You're not trying to raise money that I can tell. Is that really viable? I mean, can you really finance this and provide the quality of care without some form of subsidy? Yeah, that's a very good point. And we're very familiar with the story of you know, is an, an European organization or from America coming in a community and becoming kind of like the savior of these communities. But coming into a community and thinking, you know best uh, what the community needs is actually a colonial legacy like coming in and deciding things without uh, consulting what actually the community wants. Right. And I've also fallen into this trap in the beginning. It's very difficult to find funding for uh, diseases that uh, we want to treat in the community. So in the beginning, we were focusing on maternity health because there's a lot of funding on maternity health. But after a year, it didn't uh, sustain. Nobody came (laughs) because a lot of these global goals are, uh, a lot of efforts are being done by the government and also by international uh, organizations. So I guess as a social enterprise or as a, a local NGO, uh, what you need to focus on uh, is on the needs uh, of the community and what they want, what not the funder wants. So it really took us a while to think about that. And I even got a, an, an award from the United Nations. Uh, I was selected as a United Nations Young Leader for Sustainable Development Goals because I was focusing on maternity health. But I kind of feel I don't deserve it because, yes, I did that service, but it is not something that is very high impact. So now... I'm just focusing on uh, what the community needs. It's better for them to decide what to focus on and have the credit. Yeah. Dr. Lachman, I always like to wrap up by asking what our listeners can do to contribute to the solution to the problem you've taken on. And this one poses a bit of a challenge because what you've been telling me in a way is that you're trying to find a solution to the problem of, of healthcare in these places that doesn't require help from abroad. But but people listening, I think, who would be excited about this idea, what can they do to be supportive? I believe it's, it's not that we don't need any uh, support or funding from abroad, but my advice is not to earmark or make it specific. Have trust uh, in the community and uh, have uh, some kind of accountability mechanism, yeah, hopefully that'll work. 
Dr. Lutfi Lachman is the co-founder of Hospitals Beyond Boundaries, an organization that works to provide culturally competent and financially sustainable healthcare options, regardless of the financial means of the patients in need. Solvable is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our show is produced by Camille Baptista, senior producer Jocelyn Frank. Catherine Girardot is our managing producer, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Special thanks to Kobe Guilford, Heather Fain, Eric Sandler, Carly Migliori, and Khadija Holland. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.